Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zanati Guma, and join me to take your questions this evening are Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective and Tamsang Laneta from Shiloh Capital. Do send those questions via SMS to 41392, email us at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks so much for your time, gentlemen. Um, it seems that uh, Powell has sent the U.S. markets and European markets, well, actually even the local markets, uh, into red territory. Uh, tell me, are you paying close attention to what Powell is saying? Or because it seems that to me it's it's nothing new. It's it's what the markets had expected. Um, even the fact that markets had priced in now an uptick in the Fed funds rate already. No, I think the markets are not expecting him to follow through at the rate that he is. I think everyone is uh, anticipating at some point for him to become more dovish. But uh, Paul is following through. Uh, he's taking a more Paul Volcker approach to make sure that he addresses the inflation aggressively. He tightens the budget. He tightens uh, the, the, the interest rate. And he, in, in essence, making it uh, harder for credit markets, valuations. And the market is not expecting him after many, many years of easy money do not continue to follow through which which he is doing yeah um i, I don't know uh, graham what is it that uh, markets can't seem to uh, let go of um yeah they've been years of easy money but at the same time we had lots of comments coming out last week from fed officials saying that this is what needs to happen why aren't markets not aligning with the fed on this I think, as, as was just said, um, you know, I think it's it, it, the market is is kind of pre-programmed that the Fed waves its finger and then says, oh, I can't stay mad at you. So I think there's a bit of that going around. Um, but I do think that the, the markets are being a little bit complacent, quite honestly, not only around inflation and the Fed, but, you know, if you look at the U.S. debt ceiling, um, you know, the, uh, the Republicans and the Democrats really seem at each other's throats and, and um, I think there are a couple of things out there that that could really destabilize markets and, and, and markets are not really paying attention to them and I'm not saying you know we have to be doomsday prophets but I do think a little bit more circumspection is is in order because um, you know late last year well, on the prospect of of you know more aggressive tightening world markets did come off of course we've had the backdrop of the Ukrainian situation um, but yeah, it looks as though uh, the markets are kind of brushing the, the Fed and other other factors aside. Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, get into uh, local issues. And we did have a fourth quarter GDP coming out with a 1.3% contraction in the fourth quarter. Um, Tami, uh, do you think that we are quite close to a technical recession at this point? Uh, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. The data is very unique. Uh, both globally and locally. Uh, I think locally, we've faced a lot of headwinds. There's a lot of pressure that we faced uh, post-COVID uh, with, uh, with our energy situation, um, with infrastructure decline, uh, as well as uh, the, the, global, the global sort of pressure we're facing, resource price pressure. I think we, we are in a difficult situation, but I don't necessarily think it's recessionary. Um, two, two quarters of negative growth is what's required for that. And I'm, I'm not sure if we're able to get there at this time. Uh, obviously, in the future, these things are possible. Uh, in the U.S., uh, you have a quirky situation of 
of labor markets being resilient, inflation being resilient, uh, being addressed, and high interest rates. So the, the global economy is facing a lot of a lot of different challenges, and we are as well. I think the difference is a lot of our challenges are somewhat self-inflicted. Um, and I think if we go about the business of dealing with our problems, uh, with our energy, with our infrastructure, and with our governance, I think we will, we will be able to return back onto the growth path. Yeah. And Graham, just looking at, um, you know, how the sectors, the different sectors perform there, uh, quite interesting that the economy has only grown by 0.3% from the 2019 levels. Construction or six industries have yet to recover to their pre-pandemic levels. Construction in the worst shape remaining 23.1% smaller than what it was before the pandemic. Any sectors that you are worried about with the current um, uh, uh, position that we're in, in terms of economic growth, Graham? Um, not really. And I think those sectors that are experiencing pressure, I mean, you've seen ABI and others, you know, the food retailers talking about, you know, how difficult it is to keep the lights on. And, you know, literally in the last couple of minutes, I experienced that. But um, it, it, I think the food manufacturers are probably going to have to absorb some more margin pressure. But the reality of it is that uh, I don't think they are priced for perfection. So the reality for me is um, I think the current valuations in the market more than reflect the, the challenges. But I think as was just said, I mean, I, I think there was such a powerful slide in the Ned Bank results yeah. uh, where they put up a slide of some of the key metrics of South Africa, you know, going back from 2022 to 2012. You know, um, our electricity generation over over that decade is down 16%. Unemployment has gone from 25 to 33. You know, GDP in dollars has gone down by 13%. Really, we have, you know, we can debate about whether we are technical recession. The reality is we have really done massive damage to this economy. Yeah. And we've inadvertently widened the Gini coefficient and a whole lot of other things that are potentially long-term destabilizing. So for me, it's not really whether we have a technical recession now, but it's really how we actually get uh, growth going again. And of course, the you know government policy and particularly ESKIM is critical in that because uh, you know whether we have a recession now or not, the, the reality is we're just slowly sinking into the abyss. Yeah. Um, and actually just talking about uh, that Nedbank presentation and the GDP figure, there's a question here. Netbank says SA likely entered recession in uh, Q4 of 2022. Uh, can the panel advise on what are the best JSC recession-resistant stocks or less risks uh, during a recession with comparing other recession periods in the SA market, best and worst performing stocks? So if we do get into a recession, a technical recession, but I mean, as Graham said, things are already really bad. So looking at the JSC stocks, which or which sectors are less risky or which are recession res, uh, resistant, if there are any, Tammy? Uh, I wouldn't say there are any sectors that are necessarily res, recession resistant, but there are certain uh, uh, stocks or, or industries you, you can rely on. Um, uh, one of them is like, Beverages, food and beverages, alcohol especially, seems to always maintain itself uh, during these periods. Uh, food, specifically bread or primary products, bread, milk and the likes, seem to also uh, be, be strong during a recessionary period. But I think the, the major issue is to 
make sure that your entry price is right, your valuations are right, because recessions generally mean that people are going to spend less, companies are going to hire less, and there's going to be less demand and less growth. So in that scenario, you've got to look at companies which can afford to take uh, a decline in demand and yet remain operationally sound. And uh, that that's a difficult thing to do, but possible. Yeah. Um, Graham, you did mention um, your concern about food manufacturers and the fact that they will still have to pass on those costs to protect their margins. Um, any of the stocks that you think uh, would be worth going into or do you maybe also try and avoid SA Inc. and maybe go for more offshore-facing stocks? I think as Milton Tomasa was saying, you know, the, the reality of it is we've got... Um, Fairly lofty valuations if you look at some of the defensive retailers. So if you look look at food and drug retailers, you know quite a few of them are on on twenty plus uh, multiples. So although the business models are are defensive, the earnings may not necessarily uh, hold up quite as well. You saw a company like AVI um, and the demand destruction that they experienced in you know coffee and tea, for example, courtesy of of price hikes. So I think. Um, you get business models that are quite defensive, but the shares are not necessarily quite that defensive. I think the other thing that I would say is that, um, you know, if you take a company like BHP Billiton, if we're talking about a global recession, of course, commodity stocks will be effective, but a company that's got a low cost of production, um, you know, who can produce a ton of iron ore at, you know, $17 a ton, for example, for them, it's it's not really that significant whether the price is $120 or $100 or even $80. So you get businesses that, uh, because of their cost structures, could be a lot more defensive. I think the other thing is that if we get a recession, and let's say we are already into, uh, you know, almost into a technical recession, you know, you've got to look through this and, and come back and say, well, do you believe that SA and the global economy will recover because markets have to be forward-looking. So it doesn't help you pick defensive stocks that are highly valued now, um, but maybe whose earnings don't quite follow through. And I'll give the example of ShopRite. Great company. Mm. But, you know, the, the them choosing to absorb margin pressure and having to keep uh, spending huge amounts of money on, on, on uh, generation capacity or, or, or battery backup, um, basically ate into their margins. So I would argue I would look just for good businesses. They don't have to be perfectly immunized. Um, and I would argue something like the like the banking sector is probably uh, given what we feel is still going to happen uh, from a, an interest rate point of view in SA. I think the banks will probably give you a relative shield. It's not perfect, but it will give you a decent shield. Um, and the valuations are quite compelling. Yeah, let's actually talk about ShopRite uh, on the face of it. Uh, seeming to come out with good results, but markets not really acting, uh, reacting positively to those results. What's the main concern here when it comes to ShopRite, Tammy? Well, I think it's margin pressure. Uh, they did declare a dividend, which is good for investors, but I think, as 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 Graham said, it's forward-looking. The, the, the market is looking at can they continue to produce a cost uh, retail at a cost-effective way, can they absorb this, the supply side pressure, the cost uh, pressure, the energy pressure going forward? And remember, they, they have a lot of stores and could to some degree be seen as an indicator of economic health. So as they operate, if they are seen to 
is struggling to manage the cost side and the supply side, then it's a, an indication of pressures on revenues, and more so than also pressures on earnings. Uh, ShopRite is a well-run business, and if the margins continue to thin out on their operations and how they operate and run their business, then it's indicative of the kind of pressure we're going to see going forward across the economy. So the market is pricing in a future reduction in earnings uh, given the economic uh, pressures we currently face. So does that mean, Graeme, then there's a concern in terms of growth in ShopRite considering uh, the sluggish economic growth that we are seeing and maybe also looking at competition as much as they've said that they've had 46 months of straight uninterrupted market gains, but also just seeing the fact that they can't really pass on those costs because their proposition is to provide value. Graham? Well, look, I, yeah, I think they, they've made conscious decisions to to increase market share um, and to sacrifice margin and to support the South African consumer. That's hurt margins. Question is how they claw that that margin back when, when things normalize. Yeah. Um, and if you look at AVI, their view was that it's going to take some time for you know for some of the prices of the products uh, that they they manufacture or sell to uh, recede. But I think the, sometimes the answer is not awfully complicated. You know, if you, if you say, you know, I think through most cycles when you, you see food inflation starting to moderate and, you know, pressure on the consumer starting to ease, um, my view is that ShopRite is probably an inf inflation plus 4%, give or take GDP, uh, uh, sorry, earnings growth story. Yeah. Um, so you call it about 10%, that's roughly what we get and here you've got the company sitting on a PE of over 20. So you know, if you take five rand, 60, or even six rand, if you want to be generous of, of half your earnings, you double that. You know, you're still coming out at a, at a forward multiple of about 20. So you're paying a 20 multiple for 10% uh, earnings growth. Um, I think that it, it's no more complicated than, than yeah. that. Forget all the other variables and margin, you know, yeah. pulling back margin. It's just too expensive. It's I think expensive. that's what's worrying the market. So NetBank did release results today. Earlier on, we were talking about the economic metrics that they uh, were part of their presentation today. Uh, but just drilling into the results, what is your panel's view on NetBank's results today? Tell me. Uh, I typically view banks and more so credit extension as the stomach of the economy. I think NetBank is doing well given its size and market share. But again, it's indicative of where we are as, a, as an economy, their credit spend, their margin growth, the pressures they will continue to feel on the risk of lending going forward. I think the reality is uh, they, they are going to continue to face headwinds as will all the other banks. Um, although they will show some growth in certain sectors, I know a lot of the, the life and insurance side seems to be quite strong, but uh, our view is that the banking sector in general, net bank included, is going to face some significant headwinds going forward, especially with credit yeah. extension. Um, back when we were talking about recession-resistant stocks um, or less risky stocks, Graham, you mentioned banks. Um, and I'm wondering if... how, Yeah, obviously you still see more upside, but I'm just wondering if it's, it's quite limited from here on out. Well, I think what Samsunga is saying is right, that, you know, banks are almost a window in the soul of the economy. So, 
you know, when consumers are under pressure and when people start defaulting on home loans and, and car repayments, it does affect them. But I think what we are saying is I think the South African banks, particularly the big four, um, have been operating, you know, that we were talking about that Nedbank sort of 10-year reflection on, on the economy. Yeah, It hasn't been a beautiful place. A lot of South African households have had to sort of, you know, tighten the belt and, and slowly amortize debt, not take on a lot of new credit. So I think what, what we are seeing is that um, in general, the, 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 if you take home loans, for example, the vintages are, are, are looking better. They're probably le- less risky today than they were in, say, 2000 or 2008 or 2010. Um, and, you know, big, big banks are, are very full. You know, for very forgiving business models. So I'm not saying they're perfectly insulated, yeah. but I would say, as you see now, if you cast your mind back to the awful year that 2022 was, and yet you're seeing these South African banks delivering sort of mid-teens to early 20% earnings growth, albeit off a COVID-induced low, but still, I think they um, they don't always just follow, follow the economic cycle. Yeah. Uh, still sticking to banks, there's uh, one on Investec. Uh, last year, Investec unbundled roughly half its stake in 91. Does the panel think the remaining stake will be uh, will too be unbundled? Uh, I think they still hold around 10% of 91. Yeah, they do still hold around 10, 10% of 91, Tammy. Uh, do you think that they could unbundle that too? No, I think they'll hold on to that. I think 91 is a great business. Uh, they they also have channeled a lot of business via their own bank to towards 91, uh, and they own sell some of their products to their private banking and banking clients. Uh, the cash uh, reserves that are used also by by Investec can be allocated to 91. So I think they'll maintain some uh, or continue to maintain a shareholding. I don't think it'll be a complete disposal. They may sell off some, but uh, they'll definitely hold on to to something over the long term. Yeah. Graham, do you think it would be a mistake for Investec to let go of uh, their whole stake or remaining stake in 91? Uh, in the current market, no, because, um, you know, the asset managers in South Africa are looking very, very cheap. But having said that, I think, um, you know, when you've had these cross holdings, and you, you know, we've spoken a lot about Nedbank and Old Mutual having a big Nedbank stake, and that's slowly been unbundled or distributed. Um, and in the case of some of the other banks, assets sold. So I, I think that while it's a, a I think 91 is a good business and the investing may well say we, we see merit in it. Um, I think the strategic alliances, um, they're still probably reasonably strong, but I would argue that over the next five years, those bonds will start to loosen and they very, may very well say, you know, we can do a value unlock if the markets are, are kinder to the 91 share price. So, I think more and more you're seeing the South African banks saying, we rather want to focus on the stuff we do. We don't want to have these uh, sort of cross-holdings and complex structures. And you've seen quite a few of the South African banks going on sort of buybacks and, and, and special dividends and paying juicy dividends um, to sort of try and reward shareholders. So I, I, I would differ with Tammy a little bit. I think uh, longer term, I would imagine, when I say longer term, maybe five years from now, I would I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised to see Investec not hold uh, a strategic stake in 91 anymore. Uh, just sticking with you, Graham, so you would maybe say that in the short term, Investec has done enough in terms of their value unlock efforts, for example, with their share buybacks? 
Yeah, so what I'm saying is I think also Investec, um, of course, they, they've had a, over a period of you know, a decade, of, let's be honest, a few missteps. I think the business is looking much cleaner, much simpler, and you just have to look on a one-year view that share price is up 50%. So the market, yeah. I think, believes in the new model, and I think management and the staff believe in the model as well. So that's, I think, why I'm, I'm saying I think they may very well say, you know what, we've, we've got capital tied up in a, a business let's either return it to shareholders or sell that down and, and, and redeploy it into our business or maybe even buy back. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you just have to look quite frankly at the at the relative performance on a one-year view of 91 versus Investec. And I think they may look at that. So 91 on a one-year view down 10% and Investec's up 50. I think that's the kind of thing that would probably um, uh, command the attention of management in the longer term. Uh, all right. Uh, well, let's get into more of the questions. I uh, would appreciate the panel's view on the extensive decline in the transaction capital share price of late. Is the company under pressure from overall higher interest rates, which could be hampering the we buy cars aspect or are there more structural issues overall? Uh, if not, is it a good buy at these levels? Um, transaction capital largely seen as um, a good company that kind of navigates the South African environment very well. But we have seen, for example, with the second-hand car market, even uh, Nasper's saying that it's let, letting go of its uh, OLX Autos division because that market isn't doing very well right now. Um, Tammy, We Buy Cars was a favorite uh, just now, but the macroeconomy has changed. Yeah, so, so with transaction capital, it's not just We Buy Cars, it's SA Taxi as well. Yeah. So you have to look at the future of taxi sales, automobile parts, the supply of those parts, because a lot of those parts are not necessarily manufactured in South Africa. So the supply side and the logistics side and the cost of getting those parts to the taxi industry the cost of, of selling taxis and, and the credit around that, uh, the cost of taxi operations and their ability to afford. And then we look at the automobile side, uh, the ability to afford uh, new automobile sales. Uh, it's going to be a very difficult thing. Um, their business largely rests on credit availability. Uh, so the ability for individuals and, and companies to come and buy. Uh, we Buy Cars has, has really been aggressive in uh, getting themselves into the market. So it will come down to their ability to buy cars and sell cars, the liquidity thereof, and the credit availability for people to come in and buy cars. So I think that's the, the analysis of, of the share price will be based on their ability to generate revenue given the credit environment and, and the cost environment of ensuring they can supply the automobiles, they can supply uh, the, the parts, especially to the taxi industry. Yeah. Just quickly on your side, uh, Graham, would you say that because the share prices come off, is there a good buy at these levels? Yeah, I must confess, I'm, I'm not very close to, to transaction capital. I had a, a reasonable look at them the other day and concluded a yeah. very well-run, very well-put-together business. Um, yeah. I think we buy cars will continue to trade well. Um, yeah, but I think as Tammy said, you know, maybe um, particularly more in the taxi industry and the financing there could be a little bit more more challenging um, yeah. going forward. But I think management has proven themselves as being good operators and they're also very good buyers of businesses. Um, so I think it's like most things in life. You know, if you believe in that management team and the founders who in large part still around and involved, yeah. I think you would you would back it. You'd say, well, 
you know, the fact that the share price is down 30% over a year might give you a, a very, very good opportunity. Um, yeah, but I think it, it really comes down to, to backing management because the, I think as Tammy so beautifully said, you know, the, the, the environment is not conducive, but we all yeah. know that good management teams can navigate really difficult environments. And, yeah. and I think that they probably will. The question of whether it's a buy, you know, this level at sort of, you know, whatever, call it 20, uh, 30 bucks, I think it, it yeah. is, a, is a debate. I think the market generally is looking at feeling a little bit brittle right now. Yeah. All right, gents, we have run out of time. Let's quickly get to your stock picks. You have about 30 seconds each. Tell me what will it be? Discovery. I think uh, they've got well-suited brands, they've got well-suited offering, and I think they'll continue to grow, um, especially offshore, as well as some of their domestic brands as well. Yeah, all right. And on your side, Graham? I'll go with EPSA. I mean, I was talking about the market being brittle. Um, I think we've been, you know, been talking about the banks. Um, but the reality is, if you give them 25 rands earnings, we'll get results next Monday, I think it is. Um, you know, sitting on an 8 PE dividend yield of about 6%, um, you know, is a lot of uh, margin of safety there. So I'll, I'll go with that. It gives you a little bit of optionality in the South African market. But if you're wrong, I think uh, you'll be protected by the low valuation. All right. So thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time and analysis today. My guests are Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective and Tamsang Laneta from Shiloh Capital. Julieta is back with Stockwatch tomorrow night. Have a good evening.